Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Deborah Cobray. It has been a year of vision, has it not? It's been a year of 2020 vision. And God has actually shown us things we were not expecting to see. <laughs> and we've been in one incredible test tube, and God has shown us some things that are necessary. And so tonight, as we go into the book of Revelation, and as we begin to finish up the seven churches, I'm on church number five tonight, the church of Sardi, we are going to look at some things, and this is a serious message. It's like, how did I get this one? I wanted Philadelphia, the church of love, you know, the one that doesn't get rebuked by God or blotted out or anything else. But this is a serious time and this is a serious chapter. And so we're going to unpack it for you tonight and take a look because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for correction, for rebuke, for the training and righteousness that the man and woman of God would be thoroughly finished, ready for every work that God has for us. And so there's nothing written in Scripture that isn't relevant for today. So even though these churches were in the providence of Asia, Asia Minor, and what we know now today as modern Turkey, and they're no longer in existence, God had seven churches written letters to through Jesus. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Revelation. And I'm on church number five. And before we start, I'd like to pray. Father, thank you. Wow. What an incredible opportunity, Father, to say thank you and for the privilege of opening your word, for the privilege of gazing into what you have told us, how you have prophesied to us, and how you have prepared us for such a time as this. Lord, you knew that we would be alive in this time. You knew that we would be chosen by you to be Christians and to be leaders and to be mothers and fathers and whatever else we are, Father, you knew we'd be here. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you would anoint this message and you would anoint our hearts to hear, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us because apart from you, we can do nothing. And we are grateful and we thank you and we give you praise and we thank you for Jesus, our King and our Lord. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Revelation. But before we get to Revelation, I have to tell you a joke, okay? Because we're going to go serious, but before we do that, let's just get a little joke in here. And it has a point to it. Not sure what it is, but I'll, give, I'll get it to you in a minute. It's a Jewish joke, and I always love those. And it says, a man walked to the top of a hill to talk to God. And the man asked God, what's a million years to you? And God said, a minute. And the man asked, well, what's a million dollars to you? And God said, a penny. Then the man said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, in a minute. The reason I, I like that joke, and I've heard it, and it's an old one, you've probably heard it before. If you haven't, now you've heard it, is because when it comes to time, we are in time, but God isn't. He created time. And so when you look at this book, and you begin to open this book up of Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that there's many things in here that are not going to make sense to us until we're actually there living it. And I firmly believe in my heart that the generation that will actually live and be able to look into this book and say, this is happening right now, this is happening right now, this is happening right now, they will interpret and they will know exactly what is going on because that's exactly how it happened in the New Testament when they took the Old Testament prophecies and they began to interpret them in New Testament revelation as revelation was unfolding in the church. 
And so if you look at the book of Acts, and our pastors had us in the book of Acts for the last several months, we've watched and we've seen how the apostles, Peter and James and John, and, and, and the, 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 the men of God and the women of God, that they take the Old Testament scriptures, and the Holy Spirit would show them that this applies right now to what is happening. The tabernacle of David, who could ever figure that one out? Who knew that it was going to actually be the beginning and the starting of the Gentile church, and yet that prophecy was fulfilled? So what I'm saying is that prophecy is unfolding, and that God makes sure that when we need to know it, we are going to know it. But in the first two chapters, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, we begin to see that John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's there, he's in prison there, he's... he's I don't know, church history says he wouldn't boil, I don't know, but he was in prison, they couldn't kill him, and John is seen for the first time Jesus after the ascension, because the last time he saw Jesus was when he was raised up to heaven, and so John is seeing a whole new picture of Jesus that he's never seen before, that's why it's called the revelation, the unfolding of Jesus Christ, and now God is going to give John on this island He's going to give him this plan and how it's all going to culminate and there is going to be an end of the age. Jesus has taught us this. God has said it from the beginning. The day of the Lord is at hand. There are four stages and from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has an agenda. He has a timeline. He is moving earth and he is moving his people and his church to exactly where we need to be. He is in control. He said everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but he has an unshakable kingdom. He's not voted in. He's not voted out. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are his children. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his church, and we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are now of the kingdom of God, and we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And here is the Apostle John on this island, the Isle of Patmos, and he is beginning to get a revelation. And as he starts, he begins to see a picture of Jesus. And in the first chapter, and I just want to quickly just go through this, we're going to see that Jesus is now speaking to John. And John sees him and he falls dead at his feet. He, he's so magnificent. He's so completely Unlike anything John has ever imagined or seen. Now, John got a glimpse of Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He got a glimpse of Jesus. When Jesus literally turned from the inside out into something he'd never been. And Moses and Elijah step out of the air and they begin to talk to him about going to the cross in Jerusalem. And Peter and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And Jesus said, do not say anything about this until I've gone to the cross and I've been resurrected. And that's why John can say, we have held him. We have touched him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John is now in the revelation of Jesus and who he is, and he's going to see a whole new picture of him. And Jesus is about to unfold seven letters to seven churches. Are you good? So his purpose in these letters is to bring his church to a new level of purity and power. He's going to confront his church. He moves us to new levels of spiritual growth and success. When evil can find no place in us, evil will not be able to successfully stand against us. When evil can find no place in us, evil will not be able to successfully stand against us. That's why when Jesus went to the cross, he said, the devil comes, the prince of the power of the air, but he has no place in me. They crucified an innocent man. So God, or Jesus Christ, as head of the church, is going to confront the church. He's moving us from glory to glory, from spiritual maturity to spiritual maturity. He's going to commend his church, these seven churches. We're going to find out tonight, one, he doesn't commend. He doesn't encourage them. He doesn't believe and he doesn't comfort them. But the other six, he does. I get the one he doesn't comfort. Oh boy, sorry. He's going to convict the church because he will not allow sin to remain unchallenged. We've been living in a day where 
God loves us. God loves you just the way you are. Come on to, into the church and we'll just wash you and he'll wash you. And that's all true. He does love us, but he expects us to change. And he will not tolerate sin in his house and in his church because he's a holy God. And we are coming into a whole new realm and a whole new move of God. Watch and see. The church is changing because the world is changing and we're going to need to. So he's come to confront, he's come to commend, he's come to convict, he's come to command his church. You're going to see in these seven letters that he gives orders to change. He tells the church what's wrong and then he tells them what they must do. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the author and the finisher of our faith and he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and yes he loves us but this is no joke. This is serious stuff, church. He then comes to commit. At the end of every letter, he tells the church what he is going to do and how he is going to commit. He gives promises and eternal truths to each church who overcomes. So having said that, we looked at the seven churches. I'm on church five, so let's just quickly go through them and then we'll go to Sardi. You ready? And the first one was the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was famous. It's one of the largest churches in the New Testament. The book of, of Ephesians is a marvelous book. Ephesus was occupied with the work, not God. And he said, you get occupied with me, church of Ephesus, and I will occupy you for the work. Big difference. Let me say it again. They were occupied with ministry. And Jesus said, this isn't right. You've left your first love. And he said, listen, I don't need you occupied with the work. I need you occupied with me. Because when you're occupied with me, then I can be in you and we will occupy the work together. He looked at Smyrna. And it was a persecuted church. He just told them to be faithful unto the end. Then he looked at the church of Pergamos. And he confronts them with a sharp two-edged sword. He finds them compromised, and they are now into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the doctrine of Balaam, whereby Balaam taught Moab how to teach Israel to sin. And the Nicolaitans, it comes from two words, Nico and Latians. Nico means victory, and Latians means laity or people. It means victory over people. And Jesus said, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans. He didn't hate them. He hated the works. He hated what they did because they taught that the church could live compromised. They taught that the church could do certain things and it would be okay. And they had victory over God's people through lies and deception and doctrines of demons. Jesus confronts them. The next church is the church at Thyatira. He confronts them with flaming eyes. Nothing escapes his fire. And he, he confronts them and he was angry with them about sexual sin and idolatry. Once again, Jesus will not tolerate sin in his church. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And we have been in a season in America. I can't speak for the church around the world because I'm not in the church around the world. I can't even speak for other churches because I'm not in them. I'm here. Most of the time, I'm here. Now, I can watch online, but I can tell you in the United States of America, we've had it pretty good. We've not had persecution. They've given us tax write-offs. If we give to the church, we get a tax deduction. A lot of nations do not do that. They don't do that in Australia. They don't do that in Canada or New Zealand. We have had a time of peace and blessing. But what if I told you, it might be turning. And God is getting us ready to be the church in the season that is coming upon the earth. Because we are closer to his coming than we have ever been in our lives. So he says to the church, and I'm going to go now, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Revelation chapter 3. 
He now addresses the church at Sardi. And let me just give you just a little quick little snippet on Sardi. Sardi was in Asia Minor, Turkey. Sardi was a very wealthy city. It had been destroyed several times because of earthquakes, but they kept rebuilding. And they were vigorous, and they were vibrant, and they were wealthy, and they had walls, and, and, and the people had a good life in Sardi. And therefore, he's going to confront the church now. Now, there's not several. There's just one. He writes one letter to one church, right? Now, they did find in the digs that Sardi had the largest Jewish synagogue outside of Israel in the world. So they had a vibrant population of business people. They had their idolatry, their temples, the temple of Artemis was there. There was idolatry everywhere. There was sexual sin everywhere. This city was humming. Maybe you could equate it to a city like Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco. One of the cities in our in our world that have high finance, where people are wealthy, where people are doing business, where people are buying and selling, and the church now is in this city. So Jesus says to the church in Revelation chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Sardes write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not repent... Excuse me, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour on which I come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardi, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now John has seen Jesus, and in every letter in the book of Revelation to these churches, there is a picture and a topology of Jesus. And I just want to just look at a couple of them for you because I want to go over this with you. He sees him, and there's a two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth for Thyatira. There is flaming feet and a flaming burnished bronze feet that, that he sees. There is a, uh, his hair is as white as wool when John sees him. Actually, let's just go there, because let's see it. Go with me back, turn back a page and go to Revelation chapter 1. And I want to read this to you. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm in Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. It's not going to be on your screen, so if you've got your Bible at home, open it up. There's a blessing in reading this book. Open it up and get used to reading Revelation. This is a place God wants us to stay. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Lord's Day is Sunday. And I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardi, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded in his chest with a golden band, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his chest, excuse me, and his eyes were a flame of fire. John sees him. Fire is coming out of Jesus' eyes. There is such a brilliance of light that the only thing he has to equate it with is wool. It's the whitest thing that they could have. He sees Jesus, and he's got a garment down to his feet. Speaking of his authority, he's girded on his chest with a golden band. Speaking of his righteousness, he looks at his feet, and they're aflame. 
And it says his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. This is his picture of Jesus. As if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. When he speaks, John hears a roar over the nations. He sees these feet. He sees this garment. He sees this God. He sees the God, Jesus, his Jesus. And he knows that he has authority like he's never dreamed. He sees him in his kingship. He sees him in his anointing. And John says that he fell at his feet as if he were dead. He has in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its full strength. He couldn't look at him. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, who is dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. That word is angelos, which means messenger. I believe personally that it's not the angels of these churches, but it is the pastors of these churches that he is giving these letters to. It's used many times in the New Testament as messenger, angelos. It's also used as angel. He said, write these down to the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or the messengers, I'm going to say pastors. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we see Jesus with John, and John has a vision, and he's walking amidst seven lampstands. He has seven stars in his hand, which I believe are the pastors, and the lampstands are these seven churches, and he is in their midst, and he is tending the flame of his church. He's watching, and he is now going to speak, and he's going to change, and he's going to commit. He's going to convict. He's going to commend. He's going to command, and he is going to write, and every one of these letters means something to you and I. So when he goes to Sardi, and when he begins to say at Sardi, the picture that John has of him at Sardi, this church that we're in now, Revelation chapter 3, is he sees Jesus. He sees that he has the seven stars. Let's go there because this is going to be important as he begins to unfold what he's going to say to this church. And to the angel of the church in Sardi, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So now John is seeing Jesus with the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And now Jesus is beginning to unfold his message to the church at Sardi that John is writing down. Are you with me? Now, the seven spirits of God is not making, it's not making the point that this Holy Spirit is like seven facets. Because he's infinite. He's God, the Holy Spirit. The number seven is the number of perfection and completion. And when the word of God speaks of the seven spirits of God, or the eyes, the seven eyes of God, or the seven flames before the throne of God, which is a sevenfold Holy Spirit, you'll find that there are seven names of him in Isaiah chapter 11. And it is not saying that there's seven pieces of him. It is saying that he is God, the Holy Spirit. And as surely as God is omniscient, as surely as God is omnipresent and he is all-knowing and everywhere and omnipotent, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and he is perfect and complete and he is all-powerful. He's the one that raised Jesus from the dead. The Father planned, the Son that commanded the Word, and the Holy Spirit created that which was planned and commanded. He's the third person of the Trinity. Are you with me? So the fact that Jesus is there with John at Sardi, this vibrant, vibrant church that is famous and has a name, and he's got the Holy Spirit with him, is saying something. This is important. Now he says, I love this, and to the angel of the church in Sardi, right, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. 
I know your works. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. He's not said that to any other church. First, he has confronted them, yes, but he has commended them. He does not commend. He does not encourage. He does not comfort this church. Are you with me? I know your works. You have a name, you're alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So what this church was and what it was doing, even though it was famous and even though it was even though it had a name, everybody knew this church. God says, Jesus says, that what is left of you, if you don't strengthen it, it's going to die. For I have not found your works perfect before my God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you do not watch, I will come to you as a thief in the night, and you will not know the hour that I am coming. You have a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Now, there has been controversy in the church since this was written. Well, what about once saved, always saved. Do you mean if I'm in the book of life, can Jesus blot me out? If I'm in, can I be taken out? Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of theology about this, and I really don't want to go there. We'll save that for when we've got more time. But what I do want to say, what I do want to say to you is that he says, if you don't repent and turn, you're not going to be in the book of life. And if sin, and Jesus loves us, and he does, and if he forgives us, and he does, then when I read these seven letters, and I look at these churches, they're a mess, and he's not happy with it, and he's making them change. Could it be that he's saying that to us today? Could it be that these letters are letters to us as churches, as Christians all over the earth? in this dispensation, in this time, in this hour? And you know, I asked the Lord, I said, now Lord, what is it that Sardi had? They were famous. They had a name. They, everyone knew who they were. What is it? So let me ask a question. What is it that causes a church to be famous and have a name and that everyone thinks it's alive, but Jesus looks at it and says it's dead? What is that? Now remember, he, John sees him with the Holy Spirit, right? He sees him with the Holy Spirit. I submit to you that the work of the church, apart from the Holy Spirit, is dead. That there is human talent and human sparkle and human wealth and resource and human beauty and human brilliance and it can come together, and it can perform, and it can make something beautiful happen. But if it's not a work of the Holy Spirit, if it's not a work of Jesus himself, he looks at that work and he says, you have a name, you are famous, but you are dead. And if you don't change, if you don't turn and strengthen that which remains, you will not be in the book of life. It's a warning. It's severe. Could it be that God is saying to the church in America, maybe, just maybe, we need to shake ourselves? Maybe, just maybe, it's a time and a season now to get more serious with God? That it's a time now that we actually shun sin and we hate it? Remember Thy Thyatira, Pergamos? Remember, they were sexually sinning. They were doing things that he would not allow them to continue. Ephesus was filled with busyness, but it was not occupied with the one that wanted to occupy Ephesus. Could it be? The only two that he didn't rebuke were Philadelphia, which we'll see next week, the church of brotherly love, the church that was small and weak, but they knew how to love. And Smyrna, which was persecuted. 
He laid nothing more on Smyrna but said, be faithful until the end. There's a persecuted church right now in the world. And God is saying, I will keep you. I will test you. But you will be fine and keep yourselves. Be faithful until the very end like he told Smyrna. But the church now that is not persecuted, the church that is in the world, in the Western civilizations, all over this earth, could it be that there's some real things in here that we need to get our act together? That's why I love these letters, because to me, they're letters to me as pastors. How are we handling our church? Jesus said, 10, nurture, guard, guide, and fold the flock of God. That is your responsibility as pastors. First Peter chapter 5. Tend it, nurture it, guard it, guide it, and fold it. The shepherds, that's why there's stars in his hand. They are responsible to feed the flock of God. But the flock of God is the church of the living God. She is the bride of Christ. She is God's church on the earth. He moves through the church, and through the church, his light shines. That is why there are lampstands, seven of them. Every church shines the light of God in the earth. He says you are light and you are salt. He will not tolerate his church, his future bride, his betrothed, who has the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit on her hand. He will not tolerate sin in our midst. He will deal with it, and he will convict us, and he will command us to change. So now we look at Sardi. Sardi is a church of sensationalism versus substance. It has no substance, but it's sensational. It's famous. Everybody talks about it. It's the cool church. It's the trendy church. It's the one that everybody can't wait to get to. Maybe. I'm not judging the churches in America. That's not my place. It's God's place. He tends the light. He tends the flame of his church. I am merely a part of the church. But my job is to read these letters and to ask the Holy Spirit, what in the world does this mean to me in the 21st century? What causes a church to be alive? Human sparkle and talent and resource apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling us that the Holy Spirit is everything that you're going to need in the church. He's the revelator of Jesus Christ. He is the one that transforms us and takes us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We are born of an incorruptible seed. We are born by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He raised Jesus from the dead. He is the teacher of the church. He is the revelator of the church. Jesus said he will take that which belongs to me and he will give it to you. He is the agent on the earth that is training and teaching and comforting and giving revelation and empowering with his gifts the church of the living God. And apart from the Holy Spirit church, we can do nothing. We are just dead works. I want to read you a verse. No one can come to salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. When Jim and I were, were starting this church and God began to deal with us about having a, a passion for the lost because we didn't. We didn't care. We didn't know. We were fumbling around trying to do God's will. And God spoke to us and said, you need to understand that I need you to have a passion. And you care for the lost of the Inland Empire. And he began to give Jim an altar call. And he began to give me a, a word on how to pray the wells of salvation over this church. And to begin to believe in the people. To begin to get saved. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we would have still been a small church struggling just to survive. He is the agent of salvation, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit absolutely is the absolute perfection and fullness of God. And he will give you revelation. The more words you begin to put into your spirit the more the Holy Spirit says, let's build the library. Let's get the bookshelves up. Let's put the word into you. 
so that when you need it, in that hour when you don't know what to say and you don't know what to believe and you don't know what to do, the Spirit himself will give you utterance and bring up the Word of God up out of your spirit and he will cause you to overcome. He'll give you strategy. He'll train you. He'll show you things to come. He'll give you the Word of wisdom. He'll give you the Word of knowledge. He'll give you the gifts of healing. He'll put a gift of faith on you when you need to build a building like this and you don't have any money. There was a generation that hunkered down and said, we'll believe God. This building was built in one year. It was a miracle. How? Because we're wonderful? No, because the saints of God in this church were willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, obey what he said to do, be generous and give and work their little tails off. And they did. And this thing is here. The Holy Spirit. What does God say about human effort and sparkle? Luke 16, 15. Oh, I love this verse. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Speaking to the Pharisees. You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is popular with mankind is not popular with God. What the world says is right, what the world says is cool, what the world says to do, God says, I don't want any part of it. He's made the wisdom of this world to fail, that he can show himself. It says in 1 Corinthians that the weakness of God is stronger than men. Who would have ever believed or dreamed that he would send the second person of the Trinity through the womb of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this vulnerable, newborn infant in Bethlehem's stable was the very creator of heaven and earth. For the weakness of God is stronger than men. God has not chosen the beautiful or the qualified or the talented he has chosen the foolish and the weak things of this world to confound the wise. And his church, he will not tolerate human talent and sparkle and coolness in place of his spirit. Sardi. So, God says, are you going to be man pleasers or are you going to be God pleasers? You may look good to the world, but what do you look like to me? Are you want to be popular with man? You want to be known? You know, one thing I loved about my husband, they would ask us, and they would ask him to go on television and to go on TV and go do an interview, and he said, no, 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 no. And we flew under the radar because he knew God didn't want him to do that. You see, God is not interested in human fame. He's interested in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and the church being the church. So the command, Jesus comes and says, now I've confronted you. I've not commended you, but now I'm going to command you. And he says, wake up. First thing you need to do, Sardi, is you've got to wake up. Revelation 3, 1 and 2, it says, to the angel of the church at Sardi, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. What does it mean to wake up? It means get up, wake up, rouse ourselves. We got to shake ourselves. Romans 13, 11 through 13 says, and do this, knowing the time that is now. Knowing the time that is now, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says, shake yourselves. Children, wake up. Children, the alarm is going off. Children, children. He loves the church. He loves Sardi. He loved the people of Turkey and Asia Minor. He loves this planet for God so loved the world that he gave. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a, 
baby, a baby was given. God says, wake up, children. Rouse yourselves. So what does that mean? Well, I guess we're going to have to ask, are we sleeping? Are we sleeping? Matthew 25, I don't have time to go into it, but you know the virgins, the ten virgins, the parable of the kingdom. Ten virgins, five are foolish, five are wise. They all had lamps. They waited for the bridegroom. They all fell asleep. They all fell asleep. It's been 2,000 years. We are 2,000 years removed from the cross in the events of history, church. Could it be that the Holy Spirit is setting the alarm and crying out to the church, rise up and wake up and trim your lamps. The problem was five were foolish and they had no oil, but five were wise and they had the oil to raise and to turn on and to bring the light forward. What does that mean? Glad you asked. Because the next thing he says after you wake up is he says, watch. Wake up and watch. What does that mean, watch? Stand your guard. What am I guarding? My heart. Revelation 3, verse 2 says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Be watchful. Stand your ground. When you are a watchman on the walls, you are guarding something. You are awake. You will get shot if you are sleeping on duty because you're the watchman guarding. And God says, you need to wake up, church, and you need to watch. You need to stand up and guard. And what are you guarding? He says, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your hearts. For out of it flow the issues of life. I don't mean my church completely compromised in a world system that's been comfortable and easy and foolish. I need my church now to be hard and to be tough, to become warriors, to become ready for holiness and ready to do his bidding and rise up and wake up and stand our watch. Watch. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are the sons of light and the sons of day. We are not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, Sardi was asleep. Sardi had no works that were before God except for a very few that walked with God. A very few. I'm so out of time. You know what? Sometimes we just need to open the word and break it down. Just break it down. Just what is God saying to us right now? What is God saying in 2020? What is God saying to America? What is God saying to the church in America? He's saying, wake up. Stand your watch. Guard your hearts. Hold fast. Don't let anything go. Because the next thing he says is Revelation 3. He says, remember therefore how you have received, what you have, how you have received and how you heard. Remember, go back to where you were. Review it. Take a snapshot of your life when you were on fire for God. Remember what it was like when you heard his voice. You couldn't wait to come to church. You couldn't wait to help. You couldn't wait to be in the children's church to teach the kids or to help with the youth, to be an usher. This has been shaken. Satan has shaken this church. He has shaken this nation. And God says judgment begins at the house of God. He will deal with us first before he deals with the earth. That's why it's been 2020 vision. We've had a test. Where are we? Where's our passion? Where's our desire? Have we been the human sparkle and talent and we love to go because we feel good? 
we go to the cold church? Are we passionate? Passion for souls for the lost palsy because I know the terror of the Lord. I preach Christ. He wasn't afraid of the terror for himself. He was afraid for the terror of eternal damnation and hell for the ones that had not yet said yes to Jesus. But you see, in America, do we really preach eternal hell and damnation and sin and holiness and behavior? What if the Holy Spirit is saying, wake up, children. The day is far spent. The night is over. He's coming. I need you to wake up. I need you to watch. I need you to strengthen what remains. You know, he could have just said, forget it. I don't even want anything to do with you. But he told them what to do so they could come back. He doesn't want one to perish in his church. So no matter what you are, where you've been, or how much you have screwed up, he is saying to you, wake up, rise up, guard your heart, come home to me, remember where you were, I'm here, I love you. We can do this because the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our standby and our power. I'm so out of time. Church, he said, wake up. He said, watch. He said, hold fast. Don't let go. Don't let go. I'm going to read you one more scripture, and then I've got to stop. How do we hold fast? It means committed and anchored. Committed and anchored. That no matter what comes through your life, what coronavirus or plague or depression, what government, what change, who's in the White House, who cares? My God is on the throne, and he holds the heart of the king in his hand, and as the water course, he will turn it whatsoever way he wills. Like my sister Teresa, Pastor Teresa says, this is a distraction. We'll pray for our leaders. We'll pray for them because God told us to. We'll not accuse them, and we will not degrade them. We will honor them for the office sake. But our God... Our God is king. And we're in this world on loan, but we're not of it. We are bone of his bone, and we are flesh of his flesh. We are his people on the earth, and he is calling and crying and saying, Wake up, rise up, guard your hearts, hold fast, hold fast until I come. Hold fast. What does that mean? Last scripture, Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. Speaking of Jesus, because he's my example. Whatever he did, he's the last Adam. He's the perfect man on the earth. I become like him. As he is, so are we on the earth. We're a new creation. So if he did it, we can do it. This is what he did. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up definite special petitions for that which he not only wanted but needed. And supplications with strong crying and tears to him who was always able to save him out from death. Here it is. Watch this. And he was heard because of his reverence towards God. His godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank. He shrank. He shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. And though he was a son, he learned active obedience through the things that he suffered. He had never put himself in flesh before. He'd never been confined to flesh. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And now he's in, a, he's in a flesh body. He's the last Adam. He's the kinsman redeemer. And now he has to go through every temptation that we'll ever go through. And he cried out and he prayed to God and he ran in stark terror from anything that would separate him from the bright presence of the Father. So how do you hold fast? You run. You run in terror from any evil, from any lust, from any sin, from anything that you know will separate you from your father and from your high priest. And you run like Jesus. He ran in stark terror. He knew who God was. He knew who he was. He was not going to let any temptation get near him. You see, that's holiness. That, my beloved, is what holiness looks like. It's not something you have to do. 
things you have to get rid of. It's things you can't stand, don't want to get near it, not going to let it corrupt you, not going to let it soil you, not going to let it get near you because you know the Father, because you know the Son, because you hear the voice of the Spirit, because you're a child of God on the earth, and because He loves you. And why would you separate from Him over something that is filthy and dirty and carnal and has no power except to separate you from the one who will change your life. That's how you hold fast. Run. So, Sardi, God says, listen, there's a few of you haven't soiled your garments. You're in the book of life. You get a new garment. You're righteous. You're going to walk with me. We are going to walk with him. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's not going to blot your name out, but this is a warning to the church. Sardi, human sparkle, human resource, human talent. But Jesus says, you're dead. Repent. Wake up. Watch. Get up. Guard your heart and hold fast. Amen. I'm done. This book of Revelation, God says, read it. There's a blessing in it. Don't read it with fear. Read it with faith. You're not going to understand everything in it. It doesn't matter. You're going to get a picture of Jesus. You're going to see him like you've never seen him before. You're going to see the throne of God. You're going to see heaven. You're going to see earth. You're going to see what's coming upon the earth. You're going to see the one world government globalization that this earth is going to. John said that it begins as a spirit of the Antichrist. It progresses into a system, a political system, and it will culminate in the end into a person. Beloved, we're closer than we know. It's time for us. It's time for us. Wake up. It's time for us to watch. It's time for us to hold fast. Watch what God wants to do with the rock in this generation, in this hour. Did you get something out of that? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.